The kids have read our scripture for us this morning and we'll talk a little bit more about Hebrews chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, you might like to open to Hebrews chapter 1. But I'd like to begin this morning, as we always do, uh, with Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. There we go. Thank you, team. Mark chapter 1, 15. Let's read it together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is at Hamnia. Repent and believe the good news. This message of Jesus repeats again and again through his teaching, talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. But what is this kingdom like? And what is this God like? One of the most fascinating aspects of the good news message that Jesus preached is that he centered his message on one essential element, himself. Jesus was God's messenger, and yet he was more than that. Jesus was both God's messenger and God's message. Christ's closest followers were convinced that he not only proclaimed the word of God, but he was the word of God. According to Jesus and his first followers, the messenger and the message are one and the same. Jesus is the word of God come to us in the flesh. As we've been reading over these times since Christmas from John chapter 1, let's read it together. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And John goes on to tell us what he means here when he talks about the word. He's talking about Jesus. This essential element of God, this son of God, this spoken word, this logos, the one who brings order to the universe and through whom the whole universe is created, is with God and is God. And he goes on in verse 14 of the same passage. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This word, this God became flesh, became meat and came and walked amongst us. The medium is the message. Jesus is the message. Yes, the gospel is a universal message that transcends any historical context or culture. This means the message of Jesus can apply to any person at any time and at any place. But the origin and substance of the gospel is rooted in a specific person, at a specific time, in a specific place. There is no gospel without the historical life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection, the return of Jesus. This is different from, say, the spirituality of the Buddha. Knowing details about Buddha's life is less relevant to Buddha's spirituality than knowing Buddhist teachings, philosophies, and practice. And it's also different from, say, the religion of Islam. They, Islam have their prophet Muhammad, and, but Muhammad himself said it was clear that he was just a messenger, and that people should turn to God and not to him. Christianity is different. In contrast, Christianity is all about Christ. Jesus didn't just claim to show the way, he claimed to be the way. Jesus didn't just claim to reveal truth or to teach truth or to point at truth. Jesus said, 
I am the truth. He said he was the very embodiment of truth. Jesus didn't just teach a way of life. He claimed to be the way of life we're looking for, to be the very life we're looking for. His own words could not be clearer. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. By claiming these things for himself, Jesus defines the gospel as this, the good news that God has penetrated history with his own embodied love through his son, Jesus. Jesus becomes the hinge of history, the one who ties it all together, making sense of all that has gone before and of everything yet to unfold. The Apostle Paul spoke about this when he wrote, the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel is a message that shines light into this world. It puts Jesus front and center so he can show us who God is and what God is like. If God is like Jesus, then this is truly very good news. The gospel is the story of a person, and that person is Jesus. This means that if you want to learn about the gospel, you'll need to learn about Jesus. If you want to become a student of the gospel, you'll need to become a student of Jesus. And if you want to read a book about the gospel, guess what? You're going to be reading a book about Jesus. No one shows us what God is like better than Jesus does. Look at what John says near the start of his gospel. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. We spoke about this verse a few weeks ago, but I want to hammer this point home again. Let's read it in a different translation from the NASB. translates it like this. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father He has explained him. The first thing John says is that until Jesus came, no one had really seen God. Now, the apostle John was steeped in the Jewish scriptures. He knew there were stories in the Hebrew Bible of God showing himself to prophets and to other leaders. So why state boldly that no one has seen God at any time? John is making a profoundly powerful point. Aside from staring into the life and love of Jesus, no one truly sees God, no matter how close to God that person becomes. Jesus is such a clear picture of what God is really like that every other vision of God is only partial, incomplete, too easily misunderstood. Perhaps this is why the Bible says that Moses... Described in the Bible as one of the most intimate face-to-face friends of God, really only ever saw his back. We talked about that a few weeks ago. If you want to listen to that message, we talked a lot about Moses seeing God in his back as he walked past. So according to John chapter 1 and verse 18, God reveals himself to us definitively through Christ in a way that makes his nature crystal clear. God somehow gives birth to himself, the God with God, he who is in the bosom 
literally in the heart cavity of the Father. It's as though God opened up his chest to show us his heart and out walked a person. And that person is Jesus. What we learn about God's heart when we look at Jesus is really good news. John 1.18 also says that God, Jesus has explained God. The Greek word here for explained is the word exegeo, which is the same word from which we get the word exegete. You may have heard preachers or Christian teachers sometimes speak of exegeting a passage of Scripture, which means to fully explain its meaning. Right now I'm exegeting to you John 1.18. And John 1.18 says that Jesus exegetes God to us. Jesus is God's ultimate explanation of himself. Jesus is the one who explains God. When we keep Jesus at the center of our seeing, our hearing, and responding to God, we're seeing God as he really is. Other first-generation followers of Christ Put it this way, Colossians 1.15, we read, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We spoke about that, I think, three weeks ago now. That Jesus is this image of the invisible God, the one who makes the invisible God known. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, as we read with the kids, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is the one who shows us what God is really like. So let's take a few moments and exegete to talk a little bit more about Hebrews chapter 1, to explain it fully, to look at it in more detail. Although I think the donkey explained it quite well, or I explained it well to the donkey, that God comes in this amazing way. If you've got your Bibles, you might like to open to Hebrews chapter 1. And just the first three verses. Hebrews is uh, a fascinating and interesting book of the Bible. Uh, It's the only book of the Bible where we're not 100% sure who wrote it or we don't really, scholars argue backwards and forwards because at no point in the book is the author tell us who he is or who she is. There's a very slight chance it was a woman, but we'll hold out hope. We can ask when we get to heaven. The book is written to these Jewish Christians Uh, people who are Jewish, grown-up Jewish, because a lot of uh, Jewish imagery and and stuff all through the book. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying to these guys, look, your heritage is great, and all the stuff you've read in the Old Testament is good, and all the heroes of the Old Testament are wonderful, and the angels are wonderful too, but then there comes Jesus. And he's above it all and beyond it all, and he makes it all make sense. And so in his opening lines to the Hebrews, the writer says, in the past God spoke to our ancestors. He's a Jew, writing to Jews and saying, look, this is our heritage. These are our traditions. These are our scriptures. God spoke to us through the prophets in many ways and very many times. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We often talk about being in the last days. You might meet someone who'll say, yes, I believe we're in the last days. And the writer of the Hebrews agrees with them. We are in the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years at this point. From the time Jesus stepped onto the earth, we are in the last days. 
Does that mean the world is going to end on Tuesday? I hope not. I'm having a barbecue on Tuesday. But the world will come to an end at some point. We are in this last portion of history, the writer of Hebrews says, the last days, the days since Jesus come. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Everything has been created for the benefit of Jesus, the author says. And through whom he created, he also made the universe. Everything, the writer says, is for Jesus and about Jesus and through Jesus. He is at the heart of all things. This son of God, the heir of all things, through whom he also made the universe. And then he says, this son is the radiance of God's glory. The radiance of God's glory, the bits shining out to show us what God is really like. If you were to walk outside this morning and look at the sun, don't do it for long, you'll hurt your eyes. But the light beaming from the sun isn't actually the sun. I imagine you all know that. The sun is a mass of incandescent gas, a gigantic nuclear furnace where hydrogen is turned into helium at a temperature of millions of degrees. But we can't see that. But when we walk outside and see the radiance, when we see the light beaming out of the sun, we get an idea of what the sun is like. And in this way, the writer of the Hebrews says that the sun is the radiance. He is the light shining out of God's glory. But he goes beyond that. And he says Jesus is the exact representation of his being. The exact representation of his being. The exact representation. He's not just a picture that kind of describes God or, you know, uh, this, this is a plastic flower that kind of tells us what a real flower looks like or I've done a painting of my wife and that's kind of what she looks like. No, Jesus is the exact representation. This is what God is really like. Through Jesus, it is as though God says, I know there are stories of violence in the Bible and stories of pain and of harsh judgment, all mixed up with stories of mercy and grace and healing and hope. And he says, I understand that sometimes you aren't sure what kind of God I am or how best to follow my will. You look to nature, you learn from the prophets and holy teachers, you flip through the pages of the Bible or other books trying to find out the evidence of what God is really like trying to figure out what the great I am is like. Well, it's time to put an end to that. Once you know my heart, you'll be able to better understand everything else you know about me in nature and in Scripture. God says, look to Jesus. This is my heart, my most intimate and ultimate act of self-disclosure. This is what I look like. When I put skin on. The son is the exact representation of the father. Why is this good news? Because if God is really like Jesus, then we can have confidence that God is deeply compassionate, scandalously gracious, infinitely loving. We are created by, sustained by, and surrounded by a God who is love. That is the universe we live in. 
In Jesus, we get our most clear picture of the heart of God. Because Jesus is Lord, everything about his life chose God to us. And what do we see when we look at Jesus? A God who has infinite compassion on sinners and outcasts. A God who rages against meaningless religion. A God who calls us his friends. A God who enters this world not riding on a celestial chariot or amid a a shower of thunderbolts, but humbly, born to simple parents of little means in a small town without a place to call their own. A God whose war horse is a donkey and who bends down to wash his disciples' feet. A God who is humble. The gospel is the good news that God became one of us. And when he became one of us, he transformed everything every religion had ever conceived about the heart of the creator, about our destiny. He transformed it all in relationship with him. The gospel is more than this, but it's certainly not less. When we see Jesus, we see God as he really is. Are there any questions this morning before we finish? I'd like to pause and give an opportunity for people to think, and if something has stood out to you or something you really want to follow up on, now is your opportunity. Otherwise, please send me an email, send me a message. I'd love to talk about these things with you. If the donkey can ask me questions, so can you. Are you scratching, Letitia, or putting your hand up? Everyone's sitting perfectly still. This Jesus is the one who shows us what God is really like. And so my challenge to you has been over these last few weeks, and and, um, Michael spoke about this last week, about resolutions and planning and how to go forward. My challenge for you this year as a resolution is to read the Gospels again, to read the Gospels again and then to read them again, and then to read them again. to Get back to the heart of who Jesus is and what he's about. If you want to hear how to make those resolutions stick, then Michael gave a good message last week about the importance of that. But let's focus on Jesus. Let's listen to him. Let's be his people. A beautiful song that I've chosen this morning, should be known to many of you this morning. He is Lord, he is Lord. He's risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We look forward to a day when all people, everyone who's ever lived and ever will live, will stand before Jesus on the great day of judgment and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the one who shows us what God is really like. Let's sing. He is Lord, he is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. 
Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Heavenly Father, this morning we want to thank you for sending Jesus into this world to show us what you are really like. Father God, help us to put aside those things in our mind. Perhaps we've got them from culture or from television or from uh, tradition or from dead religion, different pictures of what you are like that do not match up with Jesus. Heavenly Father, help us to look again at Jesus in search of you. Father, I pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit and speak to our hearts and minds and draw us deeper into relationship with you. We pray all of this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. I invite our worship group to come and we'll sing our final songs and finish off in a few moments. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you again this morning. If you have any questions, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus or to be one of his people, come and speak to me this morning. I'd love to share with you. God bless you, each one.